Hello, and welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, national NBA writer for the Washington Post, and today I'm really happy to be joined by Sam Amick, my good friend and excellent NBA writer for USA Today. Sam, how's it going? Tim, going great. Thanks for having me on, man, and I know it's very belated, but thrilled for you to have this gig, and you're doing a great job. Keep it up. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Um, so we're kind of in we're kind of in the uh, the the dog days of the season, I guess. Um, kind of a little bit of a lull before the All Star game. Uh, we had the announcement of the starters and reserves the last couple weeks, and the trade deadlines a couple weeks from now. Um, so right now it's kind of it's kind of just a fallow period for the league where there isn't a ton happening. So um, from your perspective, what what are some of the things that that you are you're kind of keeping an eye on here as we uh you know as we get into february and and you know kind of get into what should be a pretty crazy couple weeks coming up between everything that's going to happen in toronto and uh and the deadline coming right after that yeah i mean for me it's been a funny season normally i'm like a lot of people super free agency obsessed and six seven eight months ahead of july everything is through the prism of where's this guy going to go? And he's playing well, he's not playing well. What does that mean? And this year, and this is something that I think would make NBA commissioner Adam Silver thrilled to hear, because I know I'm not alone. The season itself and the actual basketball has been compelling enough that it's kind of staved off some of that conversation. And the Warriors captivated the masses in the early part of the season all the way through Christmas. And we were wired and programmed for years to think that nothing mattered until Christmas day in the NBA. Well, that wasn't the case this year. They were just a joy ride that everybody was on top, you know, enjoying early on. And then you had the Spurs sitting there in the shadows doing their thing. And now it's evolved into this uh, weekend. I'm looking forward to covering Warriors Thunder. So it's the the discussion about who's the best of the best and who's going to win it all. And trying to dissect these elite teams, I found really interesting and largely because you got this, the Warriors to me are still this, new character in this drama this team that has got this terrible history as an organization and mostly futile and mostly dysfunctional and now it's for them to be on top of the nba mountain and be the team that everybody's gunning for still seems pretty surreal and so that i think is, is still front and center but there's plenty of other stuff going on i mean i mentioned the thunder game and as you know tim this week uh you know thanks largely to to yahoo's adrian warsnowski wrote a piece on the Kevin Durant situation and might he go to Golden State. So we're starting to see some of that buzz build, but uh, just no lack of storylines, that's for sure. Well, and I, I wanted to kind of to touch on on that Adrian piece. Um, I'm going to see, you know, you said you're going to see the Thunder on Saturday. Um, I'm I'm in New York now, but I'm heading down to, to Washington tonight um, for the Warriors game uh, tomorrow in, in, uh, in Washington uh, where they're going to face the Wizards and, you know, this this whole season coming into this season, you know the the Wizards have kind of been positioned for a couple of years now as the team, you know, given that Kevin's from the DMV, uh, you know that they're going to try to lure him back home to play with John Wall, uh, maybe Bradley Beal, and and try to you know get him to to come join up with them. And as this season has gone on, you know, you know, Adrian wrote this you know this big piece today about the Warriors uh, being a potential landing spot for him in free agency and you know that that's something that's kind of you know ebbed underneath the surface around the league for a while now that you know maybe Golden State you know is is definitely gonna Golden State's definitely gonna try to make a run at him um but what I I was curious about is you know you, you mentioned how a lot of times you know in our line of work the the free agency discussion becomes the big thing right you know going back a few years it was LeBron's free agency then it was where was Carmelo going to yep. go and where was Dwight going to go. Um, you know, Carmelo again came up a couple of years ago in free agency. Where is he going to go? It was kind of this, you know, every year there was somebody who was going to be on the market and everybody was wondering where they were going to go. And obviously Kevin Durant is one of the biggest names in the sport. He's one of the best players in the sport. And, you know, his, his free agency has been waited for several years now. And now that it's here... You know, he was just in New York, and there was a little bit of talk about it then, but, you know, it's largely gone, I don't want to say untalked about, but it's 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 mostly flown, you know, either completely under the radar or just, you know, like brief pop-ups here and there where, like, you know, this Adrian story or he comes to New York or there's, you know, brief flashpoints where it, it's a little bit of a story and then it goes away again. And 
I mean, you mentioned how how good the season has been. Um, do you think it's been more a factor of like the Warriors and Spurs being so good that people are paying so just a lot more attention to them than normal? Or is there something about either the way that Kevin has handled this or the fact he plays in a small market or something that has kind of kept that story from from blowing up in the way that we might have originally expected it to? Um, I think it's three things. For one, how good the other teams have been, and there's been plenty to talk about outside of the Thunder. And if the Thunder were right there with the Spurs and the Warriors, maybe that noise would have been louder. But really the, the narrative at that point would have been at this point, he has nowhere or no reason to go anywhere if, if they were up to, at that level. We've had plenty to talk about. That's number one. Number two, the way he's handled it, I do think matters quite a bit. He's pushed back against some of the speculation, most famously with his Stephen A. Smith little feud that he had where Stephen talked about the Lakers and Kevin went after him a little bit. And he's also been real uh, outspoken about his circle. And that's something that's important for him. His agent, Rich Kleiman, his manager, Charlie Bell, and the concept of if you didn't hear it from us, it, it didn't happen. And that, I think, has quieted some of the noise. But the third one might be, to me, the most relevant. And uh, dare I say that might reflect well on the sports media world that's so widely known for having you know no boundaries to the conjecture. At least, Tim, in our circles, NBA media, in my, in my perspective, is that it's tough to speculate about what he's going to do when – it matters a great deal what this Thunder team does from now until the end of the postseason. And so you add that to the fact that they have a first-year coach in Billy Donovan who's trying to find its way. I think that there was this sense that let's all give them some time because we don't have anything substantive to say about the Thunder and who they are and how that impacts their chances of holding on to Kevin Durant because it's only October, it's only November, it's only December. Now we've got a little more to chew on. Now we see what kind of team they are. And right now the verdict is they have, I I think I actually honestly feel like they have as good a shot at winning the whole thing as anybody. I know that sounds crazy considering what the Warriors have been doing, but they are a really good matchup against Golden State. So we all get caught up in the present and what's happening right now. But you put those two teams in a playoff series, you know, today, tomorrow, it's going to be really competitive. So I think all those three things, add into it but it's already building the noise is only going to get louder and uh you know we still have plenty of time to talk about it but that's kind of how i see it and i i think part of the i think there might be a fourth thing too which is i I think kind of the conventional wisdom and, and it's probably where i come down to is it seems like the most likely scenario is that he just signs a one year deal in oklahoma city right um you know as you know russell westbrook's up in a year serge baka's up in a year and it, it just seems like it just seems like that's the logical route. Kevin signs a one year deal with an option that allows him to get to the ten year supermax next year where he could probably get the first two hundred million dollar contract in NBA history, um with the way the cap is going. Um and it and it would kind of allow them, you know, one more shot at the mountaintop with this, you know, really terrific core that, you know, hopefully this year for the first time in a while is gonna have a chance to make a real run at it. Um if they're healthy, but I want to, I want to bounce a few things. I want to spin back to something you just said. Um, I I think, you know, the Spurs obviously had a bit of a rough week getting blown out a couple times without Tim Duncan by the Warriors and Cavs, but I still think most people on the whole would say that Golden State and San Antonio are a significant step up from even the Thunder and the Cavs at this point. So, um, and I, I kind of agree with you about the Thunder and the Warriors matchup, but just for people who might've heard you say that they could, you know, kind of go toe to toe with them and maybe beat them. Um, I imagine that would probably surprise some people. So, so from your perspective, why why do you think that's the case? I mean, two main things: the, the Thunder, for one, and hat tip to to uh, San Jose Mercury News columnist Tim Calacama, who does a, a podcast with with Marcus Thompson. Both those guys do a great job, and I listened to one of their podcasts recently and they were on points, and so I'm stealing one of their points, admittedly, is that the Warriors thrive against a lot of teams with the 1-4 pick and roll, and because of Draymond's versatility and, you know, what he does to the opposing defense and, you know, the pressure that he puts on, teams like if you're San Antonio and you're LaMarcus Aldridge and you find yourself potentially switching on Steph Curry, 
you're on an island, it's just not a doable task, and you get destroyed every single time. The, the Thunder with Serge Ibaka, when he's at his best, present a different case. It's a team that can handle that a little better. And the other part of that, and it's also Steph Curry-related, is that the Thunder and the prospect of having to not move a Kawhi Leonard-type defender over to the one to slow down Steph Curry, the fact that you can defend Steph pretty well, as well as Steph can be defended, with Russell Westbrook, a guy who's so active and so long and so aggressive with how he defends, is another edge. And then I, I do think also, and this is probably a, a fun segue for this debate that you and I have all the time off the air, some of their depth that the Thunder has now with guys like Ennis Cantor and Deion Waiters uh, as as kind of uh, polarizing as they might be, you know, they have the ability on any given night to come out with a decent game and give you another punch if you're going up against a team like the Warriors. So it's uh, it's just matchups are so huge in the league. And I think there's a lot of ways you can look at it where you'd say the Thunder have a better matchup than the, than the, the Spurs do. Well, and I actually was going to go the other way, um, not because of the the, the, the off, off-air conversation we've been having about Ennis Canner for a while, um, but I, I think that the the Thunder are one of the few teams that can actually match up with the the death lineup for the for the Warriors because there's not many right. teams that have a guy specifically that can guard Draymond at the five. And you know you mentioned how Serge can kind of switch out on that one four pick and roll when they go to that when they go to that small lineup you could play Serge at center and Kevin at power forward and all of a sudden you know all the a lot of the benefits that come from that. Golden State lineup kind of get neutralized, and sure. And the and the other thing for me with that, I mean, I I wrote about about kind of the same theory you've espoused here uh, last week when the Thunder played the Knicks at the Garden. Um, the 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 thing that that stands out to me is you've got two guys in in Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant that can score eighty points combined in a playoff series, and yeah, if you know if you got two guys that can put up seventy five eighty points a, a game. Um, you know, they've got they've got a chance to beat anybody. In that Knicks game, that game went to overtime and I think Kevin played forty four minutes and Russ played forty three or the other way around, and they combined to score seventy five points. Now I know it's the Knicks, um, but if if they're playing the, the Warriors in a playoff series, Kevin and Russ are gonna play over forty minutes a game and right. you know, those guys could score a point a minute. And if they if they score a point a minute for four or five games of a seven game series they could get a win, um, so it it is kind of funny. I am I, I would love to see somehow the Clippers, um, who I want to get to in a second, get past the Thunder for that third seed. Though I don't think it's going to happen now that Blake is hurt. Because I would have I would have loved to get my my druthers and have both a potential Warriors Thunder matchup and a Warriors Spurs matchup in these playoffs. Um, and I, I think I think the way it's going to work out, we're probably only going to get a shot at one of them, one way or the other, which is. Uh, which is disappointing, um, but I, I do I do want to transition to the Clippers because um, you you wrote a lot about this Blake Griffin situation last week. Um, you know, for I think pretty much everybody listening knows this, but Sam's a California guy, uh, lives in Sacramento, so he's he's really well tapped in on the West Coast and um, had some really good insight into some of the locker room dynamics with this stuff with Blake and. Um, the thing, the thing that I have kept hearing since this has happened, and the thing that kind of stands out to me is that, is that this assistant equipment manager for the Clippers, who who was the guy who was in this incident with Blake, is not only really good friends with Blake, but is also really good friends with everybody on the Clippers apparently, and guys who even right. weren't with the team anymore, who just just rave about the guy, um, and you know, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, what what is the future of this Clippers team in general. Um, even before this happened, but I guess my question for you is: as somebody who's you know been around locker rooms and knows how fragile some of the the chemistry situations can be with some of these teams, um, do you think there's a, a potential for the fact that this could kind of be the the kind of moment that could lead to Blake having to get traded because there is kind of a a divide in the locker room over hey how you know how could you not only hit this guy that, that we all like a lot, but is, you know, a, a foot, more than a foot smaller than you and just, just shouldn't, just this shouldn't be happening really in any in any situation. I don't know. It's a fair question. Uh, it's tough to answer because 
I just can't speak for those guys. But I do think that what's interesting to me is that for years, Chris Paul has been labeled as the bad guy in that locker room, at least in terms of pushing his teammates so hard that they aren't sure they want to be his teammates anymore. And that whole narrative that I do think had some substance to it. Well, you now, saw what happened with DeAndre, right? Play. I mean, let's be honest. That was right, that was exactly. a big factor this summer. I mean, you know, they had to they had right. to take a whole caravan to Houston to get him to come back. Yeah, and Blake has really been the guy who has had a pretty steady run with the Clippers. He was the golden boy who gave them something exciting as a rookie. They didn't win a lot of games, but it was a, a very good player that gave them some hope for the future. And then they do the Chris Paul trade, and we all remember that video of Blake and DeAndre jumping up and down outside the facility. They were ecstatic to Talk, get another guy to be part of their core. I don't mean to cut you off for a second. I want to come back. But how wasn't that one yeah. of the most awkward things you've ever seen? Because they're... Those guys are like the on video? some kind, yeah. Because those guys were on some kind of a team trip, right? And Eric Gordon was there, yeah, yeah. who was on the team, yeah. and like Blake and DeAndre are like going nuts. Oh man, we got Chris <laughs> Paul greatest. Meanwhile, Eric Gordon's like ten feet away. Um, I, I just, I just always thought that was just one of the most awkward things I've ever seen. It's Chris Paul, man. It's Chris Paul. I mean, especially at that time. I mean, Chris has continued to play top tier basketball and is in the conversation as one of the best point guards in the league. Sure. But at that point. At that point, Chris was like, I mean, he was, I don't know, how far away was he from LeBron in the conversation? I feel like his star was even shinier at that point because he didn't have the playoff failings that have happened since he's gone to L.A. He was still a guy who you felt like once he got to a better situation, he was going to take off and win multiple championships. So I hear you, but I, I think it spoke to the reality the Clippers were facing, that they knew that they... They had something that could be really good if they added another key piece. Eric Gordon was not going to be that guy. But right. no question that the whole thing was funny. We've learned a lot since then about Blake and DeAndre and their friendship. And these guys are nothing if not goofy. And DeAndre in particular, we've learned a lot about him. But I, you know, to your initial question, I would love to be a fly in the wall with some of these guys right now. I have gotten a sense from some parts of that locker room that I mean, it's being taken extremely seriously, and there's certainly some kind of looking at Blake like, man, did you really do this? You know what I mean? And But Doc set the tone, Doc Rivers, their coach and GM, obviously, by coming out quickly and, and talking about forgiveness, talking about humanity, not to go too deep, you know, too deep on it, but he did strike that tone, and he talked about how Blake's part of our family and we're going to deal with whatever consequences come with what he decided to do and move on. Um, it's a pretty unique situation though. And it's funny because when I had reported the name of the assistant equipment manager, there was a little pushback from the Clippers organization. And one of the debates I had with them was, I don't think you want people just generally thinking that your superstar, you know, hauled off and smacked a random staff member, right? This, it doesn't excuse any of this, but there's a relationship here. It goes a little deeper. These guys are known to be giving each other a hard time all the time. And it's almost like a, you know, a frat house fight gone wrong where it just escalated and went too far. And next thing you know, I mean, people have said this, Blake's very lucky that the authorities didn't get involved as far as actually having a case and investigation, because it could have been even more serious than it is. But I don't see it resulting in a move. Blake, even before this, to me, has been one of those guys that there was probably a short list of three players, four players who the Clippers would think about swapping him for. And unless a phone call came regarding those particular guys, whether it was LeBron or Durant or any of them, then he wasn't going to be going anywhere. I think they're still trying to see what they can do with him. Well, and that, and that, and the other thing about the authorities thing is you got to remember too, that was in Canada. I mean, they were in Toronto. So like, you know, that would have, that could have just added a whole other level of difficulties to it. If, um, you know, if it was a situation where the authorities got involved. But, um, you know, uh, going back to the, the Blake moving possibility for a second, um, it, it's kind of a fascinating situation there because I don't know how, what your feeling on it is, but it's always kind of felt to me like if, you know, Doc Rivers has hinted different times. He talked to Zach Lowe before the season, said he'd blow the team up if, you know, he'd they'd have to blow the team up if they don't make strides this year in the playoffs and, you know, at the various ways that things have been hidden around in the past, I always kind of got the sense that Doc, if we was going to move one of those guys, would move Blake. Um, 
over over the other guys. Um, and, and like you said, maybe it would only be for a couple of guys, but um, it, it just it just always felt like of of the guys that are in that that core there that he was always kind of the one that was maybe off to the side a bit. And I I look at the situation the Clippers are in now, and you know they they say that Blake's going to be out for four to six weeks with this hand fracture, but it feels like from talking to people and, and reading about it a little bit, it feels like more of a two-month injury. So, you know, at that point, you're out until late March. You get in, you get close to the end of the regular season, and you got to get ready for the playoffs. Um, so, I mean, you, you said that you don't you don't see a move happening. So, I guess, I guess along those lines, what I was going to ask was, it, do you think there's a, a, a 0% chance that that he's gone by the deadline and that somebody can't, find a way to pry him away or do you think that there's at least the possibility there where if you know the Clippers somebody comes to the Clippers and you know say it's Boston or or one of these teams with a bunch of assets that comes to them and says you know look here's two or three players and a high pick and you know will you will you consider shopping him that maybe they would look at it and say hey you know what if we you know we strike now we can we can try to fortify our team now and and also move on from this situation. I just, I don't see it. And maybe I'm wrong, but you know, the one scenario that has been discussed is the, the Durant one. So if Durant went to OKC before the deadline, we're talking, you know, before the next 16 days right? and said, I already know that I'm not going to resign and, and that's just not going to happen. Right. Then maybe the Thunder would make that move. So, I mean, I don't see it. And the rest of it, Blake's teammates are making the decision easy for Doc. Because, you know, I'm cheating and looking at the Clippers' schedule here. They've won 16 out of 19. You know what I mean? They're winning ball games, And if you're Doc, and I, I don't blame him at all for having this perspective, we all, we're so quick to forget things that unfold. Again, it's just being captured in the, you know, prisoners of the moment. The Clippers beat the Spurs, and it seemed like, in the first round of the playoffs, and it seemed like the mountain that finally got over. And that, I mean, I remember Vegas did odds on the championship at that point in the postseason, and the Clippers were the odds-on favorite to win the title. That was not that long ago. They blew it against the Rockets, and you can't take anything away from Houston, but if you're in Doc's shoes, you don't. that probably feels like it was yesterday. You don't forget that. You remember that with that core, with that group, that you blew it, but you got a taste of how good you could be, how competitive you could be, and I think he wants another crack at it. Now, you mentioned that Blake might be the guy that in Doc's mind you'd be the quickest to move. That might be the case. I don't see the sense in that. And he's you know, been accused, I think, fairly a lot of being guilty of just playing for the now and managing for the now. If you're moving a guy, I mean, Chris Paul is the guy who's a lot closer to the end than he is the beginning of his career. And this Kyrie Irving for Chris Paul scenario I've been fascinated by because I don't know if either side would do it but I think it could be a win-win. If you're trying to build around a guy in Blake who's right there in his prime, that magic number of 27 years old with so many good years to go, uh, to his credit, Blake, is, he's not the one-hit wonder anymore as far as being the high-flying dunker. He's got a versatile game. He does a lot of things. He even has a little bit of that old man game that makes you feel like he can keep doing it into his mid-30s. Uh, I just don't think you let go of a guy like that easily. And if anything... I might be looking for ways to get younger around him. Well, no, and to be clear, I, that's not what I would do. It's just kind of, I, I mean, I to me, I mean, the, well, other, I hear you. the other thing about that Spurs series is we left that Spurs series thinking, oh, my God, Blake Griffin is destroying the world. Like, he was right. unbelievable in that series. And even this year, he's averaging 23-8-5. and five. Um, But I, I do, I want to I wanna ask you something about him um, it specifically because, you know, in the wake of this, the other thing that's come up in the wake of, you know, should the Clippers trade him and what's going on with him is is just how good is he? And, um, I mean, you mentioned Tim Kawakami earlier, who I, I have a lot of respect for and think he's <laughs> really good. Um, I think you're laughing because I think you know where I'm going with this. You know, Tim yeah, Tim yeah. wrote a big piece about, a large, you know, a big piece about a couple different things and also wrote about Blake and, you know, essentially said he's not a top 25 player in the league and maybe not even really close to that. And, you know, his his basic argument um, is that, and it's the argument I think of more than just him, is that you look at the NBA today, and if you have a power forward, you need him to be able to do um, two, at least two out of three things. 
You need to be able to handle the ball, which Blake is a phenomenal passer and can handle the ball as well as any big in the league, including Draymond Green. They're probably the two best in the league at it. Right. Um, but then you need him to space the floor, which Blake is shooting, I think, 35%, but he's taken about 15 threes. And last year he shot 40%, but he took 25 threes. So that's not really space in the floor. And you need to be able to protect the rim or be an elite defender. And while Blake has at times can play really good defense, isn't locked in and off at that end, and he isn't a rim protector. Um, so I guess, you know, I, I'm a big Blake Griffin fan, and I, I think that if he was on a team where he was kind of used, you know, in kind of a, a super Draymond Green role where he kind of was – the offense did run through him as opposed to running through, say, Chris Paul, like it does with the Clippers. He would probably put up even bigger numbers. Um, but, but I'm just curious, you know, where do you where do you come down on that, and and where do you like what do you, where do you think his true value lies um, at this point, given the where given the way the league is evolving? I mean, it's a it's a great debate. It's kind of a it's like the David Lee debate on steroids because it's on a different level. David Lee was never discussed you know, at this kind of level as a Blake Griffin, but you have some of the similar themes um, in a vacuum. I think he's an elite player and in the discussion for best power forward in the game, but where it gets tricky for the Clippers. And at this point I'm officially arguing against myself <laughs> is that putting, putting him next to Deandre Jordan is not the most efficient uh, in, in terms of being complimentary talents. And the thing that DeAndre does that ends up reflecting poorly on Blake is that every time Blake is out, to DeAndre's credit, he shows the world that while he certainly does not have anything even rem- you know remotely close to a uh, a real skilled offensive game, he can increase his production and give you a lot of those numbers that Blake is taking on a night in night out basis. DeAndre picks that up and then some, you know, and I'm. Looking at, I mean, you're just getting routine, not 20 point nights, but around 20 points a game with his, you know, he's hitting the glass in the neighborhood of 17 to 20 a night, which is absurd, especially of late. So that's the part with Blake where are you essentially putting a, a ceiling on both guys' abilities to make an impact because of the way that their skill sets uh, duplicate? And that's always going to be a discussion when you've got a big front line like they do. But again, uh, I'm big on age and big picture, and so uh, I don't know. Maybe you maybe you talk about moving DeAndre. Is there another five that works better next to Blake Griffin? But everything you said about Blake's deficiencies is accurate, um, and the defensive side has always kind of frustrated me because we've always been led to believe that on defense, the point guard spot and the center spot are the most important, uh, the bookends of your defensive unit. Well, the Clippers are just routinely average in terms of their league-wide standing on defense, despite having two guys who are considered elite defenders, and that's always bugged me. So I guess you got to blame J.J. Redick and blame Blake and whoever they got at the three spot on that given night. So um, it's not the perfect mixture of talent, but for me anyway, it's not enough to make me want to put Blake on another team. Yeah, they've just been a team of contradictions from the start, right? I mean, like you said, they've they've got – They've got a couple elite defenders at some of the most important spots on the floor, yet they've always had an average defense. Um, they, they've been a team that, you know, you look at them and you see them in the playoffs and you think, man, this team should should really be able to finally break through. And then they, you know, they have the choke job in Game 5 against the, the Thunder a couple years ago and they implode against the Rockets after beating the Spurs. Um, you know, both, ser- both years they have emotional first-round victories and it looks like, you know, they beat the Warriors two years ago with the whole Sterling thing going on. They beat the Spurs last year. You feel like they're finally going to take a step forward, and then that stuff happens um, in the second round. And, you know, it, it has just been a, a very odd – they've just been an odd team uh, for a while. And it, it is kind of hard to see um, – it is kind of hard to see what, you know, what the path forward is for them. Because, like you said, there isn't – there aren't a lot of clear options. I mean, you know – Blake and the other thing that that does at least factor in, I think, in part is, you know, both Chris and Blake, I think, are up in a year. So, you know, it it does, you know, it's not like the, you're in Los Angeles, you have to necessarily worry about guys leaving, but it does at least make you wonder if, for one reason or another, the the, exp- the expiration date on this core is is maybe starting to come to a bit of a close. But um, speaking of Los Angeles, uh, 
you're you are pretty dialed in with a lot that's going on with the Lakers. Um, and I wanted to ask you about this whole situation with D'Angelo Russell because I don't I don't quite get what the Lakers are trying to do. Um, you look at this rookie class. This is arguably the best rookie class in 20 years through a few months of the season, at least. Um, you can go up and down through the first round, and there's just guy after guy after guy that's been, you know, really, really good. And you know, it looks like this this group has a chance to have a lot of elite players come out of it. And then you have the Lakers, who had the second pick. They take D'Angelo Russell, want to make him the face of the franchise moving forward. Then they go out and they sign a couple of veteran guards in the offseason, kind of block them for minutes. And then as the season has gone on, it just feels like Byron Scott is just doing a drive-by on the kid like once a week um, and just, just crushing him for whether it's his attitude or his demeanor or his his skill set or his, or his play on the court. Um, and I, I know Byron's an old school guy and, you know, maybe that's just, he just thinks this is the right way to get to the kid. But, you know, then you see D'Angelo saying stuff like, I have no idea what to say to Byron about what I'm doing or what I'm doing wrong. And yeah. it's just, it's just a weird situation. So, I mean, I, you're, I know you're taught, you know, you, you've got a lot of people you talk to there and you're, you're pretty close to that situation. So what, what just, what are your general impressions on what's going on there and, and and this and specifically with D'Angelo because I mean the Kobe thing is just is what it is. But moving forward for the Lakers, he's the guy that that really holds the keys to a lot of what you know their hopes are for the next couple of years. Well, I mean it's more of the same from the standpoint of the, the disconnect between what's happening on the floor and in basketball uh, basketball operations, and then Laker land and and the business side and, and how they're trying to turn things around. And by that I mean that. The, you know, the, the Lakers needed the fan base to be enthused this year and to be excited about the young guys. With Kobe gone, that's who you're going to be selling tickets for. More importantly, much more importantly, the Lakers, as an organization and a team, really needed players around the NBA to see D'Angelo Russell and Julius Randle doing good things and being part of a healthy system and the Lakers turning a corner, as Jim Buss told me during training camp. When I went out and was with them in Hawaii and did a long sit down with Jim, as you know, Tim. Yep. And that's what stuck in my head and just has me absolutely blown away by the way this season has unfolded is that Jim's entire premise for feeling positive about their future was not even about, I mean, he was high on Julius Randall and that's all great. And Jordan Clarkson too, but D'Angelo was the one that had him fired up. And the wording that he chose was that, We've turned the corner. I said, I'm paraphrasing, but this was the message. We have turned the corner. You just can't see it yet because of this kid. And to go from that to this is wild. And, I mean, it obviously doesn't bode well for them. They're going into July with the kind of cap space that we've never seen a team have, $66 million. So money is not a problem, but you still need to create an environment where teams or players, rather, want to come aboard. And this just didn't help it, man. I Every time I read quotes from Byron, who I like a lot, I understand where he's coming from. And I don't know where the mistakes were made and how this whole situation potentially could have been better than it is. But bottom line, it's really bad. And, and the thing to monitor, I think, going forward is that D'Angelo's, one of his hallmarks of his personality that he's known for is his swagger. And if they start chipping away at that swagger in year one and you see a kid who's down on himself and maybe the performance gets even worse as a result. That's when you, I think it's fair to wonder, is he going to be in LA very long? Cause when they drafted him, that was a major thing for Mitch Kupchak and Jim Buss and their front office team was how confident D'Angelo was. They saw shades of Kobe when it comes to personality and it seems like, you know, at this point, halfway through his rookie season, even that is being challenged to the point where maybe it could change. Uh, but it's bad, man. It's, it's just not a good look. The, the the coach and the young guys are going back and forth, and the Lakers have stubbornly not done things. Any normal team by this point would have traded somebody or fired a coach, and they're just trying to get to this summer to see where things 
you know, see where things are and see what they can do. But just a really negative situation. Well, and I, I just looked up your piece, which people should go read um, on on uh, on the USA Today website. Um, you did a, a big long form piece with, uh, you know, sitting down with Jim this summer, like you are this uh, this fall uh, out in out in uh, um out in Hawaii. Hawaii yeah. You, you I, might forget, but I, I was trying, I was trying to, well, I was trying to find the exact quote here. Um, cause it, I, you, I'm just being a spiral. Right. Well, yeah. here's the quote. I think we've done a great job rebuilding. Yeah. I think we're in dynamite position, not good position, dynamite. I think we've turned the corner. I don't know if you could discount that terminology, turn the corner, but when you're headed down the wrong road and you can finally get off that road and turn the corner, that's huge in my opinion. And that to me, the fascinating thing about this whole thing is the Los Angeles Lakers needed D'Angelo Russell to be Kristaps Porzingis. Like, you look right. at the New York Knicks. The New York Knicks have been a disaster for basically this entire century. And Carmelo Anthony has one year with everything kind of clicks, and they have a you know a good half season, basically, and then they're 500 the other half the season, and they win 54 games and lose in the second round of the playoffs, and that's it. Then the next year they stink again. And, you know, it, 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 that's all they've had. In 15 years, and the Knicks are awful last year. Everybody here in New York is just praying they can get Carl Anthony Towns, who's a Knicks fan as a kid. He grew up like an hour and a half from the city, and you know this would be great to get this you know franchise changing player. The Knicks, of course, you know win the last two games of the regular season, fall out of the top lottery spot, which then goes to the, the you know the 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 Timberwolves and win the lottery with the top lottery spot get Carl Towns, and the Knicks end up with the fourth pick in a draft that at the time seemed like it had three players in it. Uh, you know, Towns, Russell, and Okafer. And then there was this guy, Chris yeah. Porzingis, that everybody had kind of heard of that's from Latvia, and it's a 7-3 guy, and no one's really sure what he is. So, of course, the Knicks draft this kid, and everybody in New York goes crazy. Oh, how can we draft this guy, Porzingis? Who the heck is he? What are we going to do? You know, how do we not get Towns, on and on and on. And Porzingis has become a legitimate star in the league. Um, You have Kevin Durant saying last week he's a unicorn because of his skill set. He's fourth in the league in jersey sales. Um, He's a guy that that does really transformational things um, at at the the four and five spots. So, you know, and, and you look now, right, and even if, let's say the Knicks keep Carmelo and don't trade him. And let's say you go into free agency this summer with Carmelo and Porzingis. You know what? The Knicks now, I give the Knicks a shot at Kevin Durant. Like, do I think Kevin Durant comes to the Knicks? No, I don't. But if you'd asked me eight months ago, do the Knicks have any chance of signing Kevin Durant? I would have just laughed. And now they at least have a chance because they've got right. they've got a guy that they can sell. And you know, you made a the 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 swagger point about Russell is such a great point. Like, you know, I I know you and I don't watch a ton of college because we're busy paying attention to what we're doing. But you know, everybody that watched Russell last year, what they like about him, the crazy you know like half court bounce passes he's making on the fast break, and like all these yeah. you know these fancy plays, and like I mean, there it's it wasn't fair because he didn't have the same quickness and athleticism as Steph Curry. But there's a reason people were saying like this guy reminds me of of some stuff that Steph Curry can do. Like he had that kind of a a flair to his game. And 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 you make such a great point. I just feel like I just feel like between Byron and the way the Lakers are handling this kid, they're just kind of beating that out of him. And no, it's it's. I mean, here's they Tim. They found themselves last July in a room, not once, but twice with LaMarcus Aldridge, where one of his main frustrations was stop talking to me about what you're going to try to do. Right. What do we have in the, in the bag? And and unfortunately the way it's positioned now, the Lakers are going to be in the same exact spot telling prospective free agents what they're going to try to do. And if that involves a coaching change, it's going to be, well, and who knows, maybe they, they do one and they have the coach in line before July. But, you know, the coaching thing seems uncertain. The talent, uh, the young talent seems very uncertain. You mentioned Porzingis, and to put it in fishing parlance, you know, the big fish free agents bite on unicorn lures. That's just all there is to yeah. it. And the Lakers, don't, the Lakers don't have one right now. They have – these guys are human, man. Everybody forgets that universal component. And it's just like our business. If we talk to 
uh, a man or a woman who's frustrated at their particular media job and oh that company's bad news and it's just that's a little it's a little off kilter and they're probably somewhere you want to stay away from what do you do you subconsciously just kind of take them off a list that's what you do and if you're in the nba and you're reading all this stuff about the lakers you're just thinking same old laker land nothing's changed and here i know this isn't supposed to be a laker podcast but you know give me your two your take on this here's where it gets really interesting and really complicated you know the timeline that has been put in place by Governor Jeannie Buss projects that next summer, two summers from now, is when Jim Buss and this part always gets left out. It's Mitch Kupchak also, that these two guys have, have got to get things in a position where the Lakers are competing for a title, like second round of the playoffs, or else they're going to make a change. It's There's part of me that says, my God, like, is there any chance they think about making a change before? Because if you blow this summer and you have it happen again like it has the last few years it's going to be an epic train wreck the likes of which we haven't seen maybe in the history of the league and if you combine space to spend and the legacy of an organization and where they could find themselves after this summer has come and gone they've got so much skin in this game and so little reason for optimism it's it's kind of wild it's it's crazy and you know like let i mean you could go a couple different directions right like look we can all have our fun conspiracies about the NBA, and we could think that Ben Simmons is going to end up with the Lakers, right? They keep their pick, which is top three protected. Otherwise, it goes to Philly. You know, let's say the Lakers are awful this year. They win the lottery. They get Ben Simmons. And then you've got, you know, Jordan Clarkson and D'Angelo Russell and uh, Ben Simmons and Julius Randle. And I think Luke Walton is going to be the next coach of the Lakers. Um, I just think that makes a ton of sense. He's a Laker guy. The Lakers like to hire Lakers. Um, he's a Southern California guy. He obviously did an amazing job first half of the season with the Warriors. He's got the right kind of temperament sure. for a young team. Like it, it just makes a lot of sense. So, you know, you could have you could have that core with Luke Walton, a guy that I think guys are going to want to play for. Um, and you know, are they going to sign Kevin Durant this summer? No, I don't think they have a chance to. But you know, let's say Kevin Durant signs a one year deal with Oklahoma City, then you could start to wonder. Well, in a year from now, when you've got you know, these three young pups playing, you know, you got Randall and Clarkson and Simmons and Russell playing for the, the Lakers. Do maybe Westbrook and Durant in a year decide, hey, we can go play with this young group of the Lakers. And, um, you know, we've got, they've got this young talent in place and we can go there and um, we can do that. So then, like, then you could, you could see things start to work, right? Or you could go the other way where they, let's say the, the Lakers lose their pick. Say they finished like what happened with the Knicks last year. They finished fourth or fifth in the lottery and they don't get their top five pick, and, you know, Russell Russell had a lost rookie season, and they're going to go into free agency and try to sign guys and probably not get any of the guys that they're going to go after at the top of the market because there's, there's just not, like you said, guys want to win now. It's not like in the past where you could maybe drag a guy to a big market um, for some financial opportunities that didn't exist. Now with the way the way social media is, with the way that, you know, I mean, Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook, two of the biggest earners in the league, and they play in Oklahoma City, which is, if not the smallest market, it's one of them. Yep. So that stuff doesn't matter anymore. Guys want to win games. LaMarcus Aldridge just went to the Spurs. Um, you know, he could have gone to the Lakers or the Knicks or a bunch of teams, and he, he went to he went to the Spurs because they gave him the best chance to win. So, um, you know, if the Lakers strike out on all those guys, you know, it, it, it does lead to a fascinating scenario where, you know, you go into next season, and let's say Luke is still the coach, but you've got Luke and these young guys, and, you know, if the Lakers start going on a, a you know, a typical rebuild where you just have to keep drafting young players and, and supplementing it, um, you know, A, that's a situation that never, the Lakers have never been in before. Um, B, they've got this ridiculous television contract that they're trying to live up to, and they need people to watch their games, and if you don't have Kobe and you don't have any exciting current stars, it could be hard to get people to watch your games, and who knows what that's going to affect. And then you've also, to your yep. point, got this, fine, this fascinating dynamic where you know, you've got this brother and sister and Jeannie and Jim who don't seem like they can really stand each other, and they're kind of, you know, there's been this, you know, kind of like this three- or four-year window where, all right, Jim, here's your chance to, um, to get this right, and if you don't, I'm going to go get somebody else to get it right. Um, so it, it is just a, a very, a very bizarre situation there. And it, it, it's so, it's so weird because, you know, for, 
for really our entire lifetimes, outside of a couple years in the 90s, uh, the Lakers have been, you know, one of the three most relevant teams in the league basically every year. And it's just very odd to see them as this kind of also-ran franchise that just has so little going for it. I mean, it's just a very, it's just a very weird well, and, scenario. And, and, no, no question. And it's felt for the last couple of years like it was all building up to this apex that was going to be this summer because of this timeline that we talked so much about. The part where you start to shake your head again and wonder how long this might go on is that because they have all that money to spend, the choices that they make, if and when they, they, they swing and miss on the big guys, if Durant doesn't come, guys like that, then who are you spending money on? I mean, you got to spend it, you know, a lot right. of it. Right. And so are you giving max deals to guys who just simply don't deserve it? Is, is Al Horford coming to the Lakers because he can get it paid? Not likely, but, you know, can you find yourself with a huge sticker price for a mediocre team because you just had to do something because of the ratings component that you talked about? Things of that nature, they just, they've got a ton on the line. And they could not be positioning themselves any more poorly right now. I don't think. No, totally, totally, totally agree. So, let, um, before we go, let's uh, let's just let's just bounce around to some league wide stuff. Is there, if, is there any stuff going on trade wise or, or rumor wise that that surprised you um, as we get as we get closer to the deadline in a couple weeks? Uh, for me, it's this stage of surprise that some of the bigger names that we thought were going to be on the move likely aren't. We talked about Blake, probably not going anywhere. And we thought maybe with that fight that that was going to spark something. Um, one that I'll probably be writing on soon and kind of glancing at his situation is Dwight Howard, who we thought might be on the move. And as it stands right now, I'm being told that's very unlikely that the Rockets still want to resign him. And they're hoping to continue this thing in Houston with him. Um, it's been real quiet so far. When we're talking about the Kevin Martins and the Markeith Morrises of the world stealing most of the headlines and just a couple of small moves having happened to this point, it's the fireworks just haven't happened. You've got a lot of teams standing pat. I think the parity is to blame for that mostly, especially in the West, when you've got a lot of teams that are afraid to rock the boat because if a, you make a move, like take the Sacramento Kings, for example, you could argue all day that they should do this move, should do that move. and Rudy Gay would probably be part of any of those moves, but they've been competitive enough that they don't want to give up on this core because they don't want to run the risk of missing out on a playoff spot. And that's the difference between this year and I think years in the past, again, especially in the West, is that when you've got this glut of teams fighting for the eighth and seventh positions, GMs just get real uh you know real patient with their group even even if maybe they should make a move and make something happen so we'll see uh maybe it'll get real active at the end here but i've been surprised how slow it's been yeah and it, it's like that in the east too i mean you've got teams from basically you know the raptors have gone on this kind of this, this long winning streak to kind of separate themselves but you know i include the raptors in this group you go from like team two to team 12 in the east and i don't know who's better or worse than anybody um you know, they're all kind right. of in this big mix. You know, teams like the Knicks and the Wizards are, you know, down 11th and 12th, but if they played in a playoff series against some of these teams, I think they might win. Um, and, and they're right. all not that far away from each other in the standings either. So, you know, to your point, it does get hard to um, it does get hard to move guys. Uh, are, have, you been, have you been a little surprised about all this talk about, um, about the Hawks? Maybe it sounds like maybe blowing this thing up and maybe talking about moving Jeff Teague. I mean, to me, when I when I hear them, when I hear all this talk about Jeff Teague and uh, everything I keep hearing is that he's going to end up somewhere by the deadline, um, either him or Schroeder, but probably Teague. Um, it just it just makes me it just makes me think that they they either think that Al Horford's leaving or they just don't see the point in keeping this group together, which I think is kind of a, a an interesting move given they just got sold to a new owner and that that's usually not. That's usually not the way a team under new ownership would go after winning 60 games a year ago. Yeah, but I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're hovering around 500, man. I know they're six games over, but I think you can take that the other way. If new ownership comes in like Steve Ballmer did when he bought the Clippers and has a title or bust mentality, let's objectively assess our roster and what we have, what we think it's going to do for us going forward. 
then I do think at this point that it is fair to to put a cap on these Hawks in terms of their potential as a group and this core. Because, yeah, they won a ton of games last year, but they faded at the end, and nobody post-All-Star break took them as seriously as they did pre-All-Star break. And this team right now is just not up there with the Cavs and even the Raptors. So I get it. And then, you know, in terms of the supply and demand component of the trade season, point guard and somebody like Jeff Teague is is a major need and a want for a lot of teams, whether it's the Knicks or the Jazz or whoever might, you know, ultimately wind up getting involved with Teague. I think that's part of it, too, is your value on the dollar and this particular trade season could be really good for guys like that. The way the league is skewing in terms of pace and the skill sets of point guards who are prioritized over others in the league, Teague, and, and you mentioned Dennis, too, fit that bill. And uh, you know, I don't know if the Knicks will make a move, but I've been looking at them all year because it's as exciting as they've been and as improved as they've been to this point. Their point guard play leaves a lot to be desired, and, and I know that's something they've been monitoring all year long. So I don't know what they're willing to give up. But um, I get it as far as the Hawks' perspective on Teague. Very good player, but if you're looking at it with the question of can we win with this group and, and go out and beat LeBron and his boys to get to the finals, you know the answer. Everybody knows the answer right now. It's no. It's not really even a close race. Right, right. Um, but last thing, uh, give me a minute on the Suns' debacle and what you think the path forward is for this team after a really strange 18 months or so. Yeah, really, really, really strange. I mean, I feel like, you know, it's it's beyond a roller coaster. You get on the roller coaster and, and it gives you the big loop-de-loop dramatic <laughs> moment. And, and and you're feeling good for, you know, you got the high for a second and then that dip comes even faster than normal. That's the sun these last couple of years. I mean, they it was the post-D'Antoni dysfunction and the, oh, God, they blew it by just giving up on everybody too soon. And seven seconds or less, you know, nobody even remembered the part about how they didn't actually win a championship. They they were treated with so much reverence for what they accomplished. And then uh, they turned it around pretty quickly. GM Ryan McDonough was doing a great job. And, and in terms of, you know, all of his moves in a vacuum, he's done pretty well. But they've taken some calculated risks that just absolutely backfired. I mean, you know the subtext here, the, the point guard situation, the whole – Eric Bledsoe, Goran Dragic drama of last year, you know, it's takeaways from me and, and kind of learning lessons that other teams should look at in the context of the Suns is, you know, it's that old thing. Just don't forget about the human part of things because I'm not saying, I don't know who did with the Suns, but that Goran situation last year was the beginning of the end where they looked at the numbers and they loved the idea of the two point guard attack with Bledsoe but they forgot to check with one of those key players to see if he was on board with that concept. And Goran wasn't. And next thing you know, it starts to unravel and he wants out and he demands a trade right around this time last year. And he's in Miami. And then the guy who's left behind is a little lukewarm, I think on, you know, the program and what everybody's doing. So, and there's so much more from there, the Morris twins and what happened there. I don't know where they take it, but a new coach is not going to fix the situation. Um, I think Robert Sarver continues to struggle in terms of his reputation as an owner and the culture of that organization leaves a lot to be desired. And, and I only say that from having talked to a lot of the heavy hitters who have come through there in the last couple of years, that's, you know, that's the, uh, that's the, the fair thing to touch on is that the guys who accomplish things for your organization, how do they look back and speak and talk about you. And, and it's often not real positive when it comes to ownership there. So uh, it's too bad, man. They got a great fan base and a great city that it's almost because like you said earlier, I'm based near Sacramento. It, it reminds me of the Kings fans where they spent a lot of years being spoiled by the success they had with really good teams. These Suns fans are still in that boat where unless you get something close to the Nash Amari Suns with the Antonio and those boys, being entertaining and being good guys in the community, um, it's going to be tough to re-engage their fans. And right now, I guarantee you that arena is—they're going to have a hard time getting that place full. No, I totally agree. And, and about the about the fan base and the and the the situation there. And and I do think I do think the Suns and the and the Rockets too are are both really good examples of 
the fact that chemistry and the human element, to your point, still matters a lot. And we can talk about, um, you know, playing Maury ball and, and worrying about, you know, having guys that can shoot threes and get to the rim and, um, you know, different things, you know, basketball-wise that you need to do to win. But chemistry matters, and getting along with the guys you're playing with matters, and having guys that are in roles that are they're happy with and comfortable with matters. And, you know, you look at both of those situations where they went off the rails, and and you can and a lot of it comes down to just personality conflicts and just a, a group that just didn't fit well. And um, I, I think it. I think that's a good. I think that's a good thing for for people around the league and for people who observe the league to think about um, moving forward because because it's easy it's easy with all the information we have now to just look at the information and try to you know project out how things are going to look but you know if the chemistry side um, if the chemistry th- side of things is not is not where it needs to be um, it, things aren't going to work out well but that that's also probably a good place well, to wrap. I mean- no, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. What do you got? Well, let me piggyback on that real quick, Tim. To your point, Masai Ujiri, the Raptors GM, I remember him telling me something years ago that stuck in my head. Cause, and he's generally he's a good-natured guy, and I always enjoy talking to him. And he made a joke about how, listen, Sam, I'm off to a good start in Toronto, but a couple of years down the line I'm going to mess up a couple of moves and you're going to be killing me. That's just the nature of the business. He had this humility about the position where he realized that these are all calculated risks. And these guys tried to crunch the numbers and do the analysis and figure out what's going to work best for their team to the best of their ability. And then they have to let it ride. It's no more, it's no different than playing cards in that respect. You pick your hand, you roll with it. This, the, the part about the Suns that has to be humbling for any executive who's paying attention is that narrow line between success and failure because these guys were in the room with LaMarcus Aldridge on free agency or in free agency. And they were right there, Tim. They were right there. You know, I've talked to LaMarcus about the situation and he really thought long and hard about the Suns, and he loved the prospect of being the face of their franchise and what they could do. And it's a great market, a great place, good weather, a uh, nice place to live. All of those things go back a year before that they got an audience with LeBron James, which at that time was a major feather in their cap. And they were going in the right direction. That's the stuff that Ryan McDonough has done where you just still, I'm going to still wonder, who knows? Maybe they can turn around. Um, but again, I just, the coach is not the thing. Jeff Hornacek, unless there's some controversy I'm not aware of, was doing fine. I think, you know, ownership needs to show an ability to stay on the path and take a few bumps and bruises along the way if that's what happens. Because, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, the Band-Aid patchwork stuff that so many teams do is not the solution. Couldn't find a better way to end it than that, so that's great. Um, Sam, this has been great, as I as I knew it would be, so thanks for stopping by. Uh, I'm sure everybody listening already follows you on Twitter, but um, you know where where can people find you on social media there and everywhere else, and uh, what do you want to plug? <laughs> I love the transparency. What do you want to shamelessly plug? No, I mean, Twitter, Tim, you know, that's where we all live so much of the time, so at Sam underscore Amick. And as you know, and we got to have you on, our fine podcast. We're trying to work hard to have a, a little fun on the NBA A to Z podcast that myself and our buddy Jeff Zilgit jump on and our NBA editor Kevin Spain have some guests on there talk about the league. So appreciate you having me on yours. I'm a loyal listener and keep up the good work, man. Thanks, man. And yeah, you should definitely check out Sam's podcast. I was on it not too long ago talking about the Nets uh, latest round of nonsense and uh, those guys are a very entertaining. Speaking listener. of dysfunction. Yes, the Nets, uh, the Nets know all about dysfunction. Um, you can, you can find, you can find me on Twitter at Tim Bontemps. You can subscribe to the posting up podcast on iTunes. Uh, please give us a five-star review. That would be great. Um, thanks to Glenn Yoder and the Western States for the theme music of the podcast. And thank you all of you for listening. Uh, Sam, I will see you, I guess in a week and a half in Toronto, which will be good. And once again, thank you to all of you for listening and we'll talk to you again soon.